0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. We've been going through a doctrine series this summer, and we've been going over core doctrines or beliefs of the church. And today, we are going to be talking about the doctrine of the church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that as we come together... Uh, we're not professionals. Lord, we're not doing this as a career. We're not doing this as, as some sort of performance, Lord, but we're here to seek you. And and Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord, for, for those of us who have been constructed as a body here to, to serve and to worship and to glorify you. And and Lord, I pray that uh, this morning, Lord, you would be glorified. Uh, Lord, that, that we would be encouraged by your word. Uh, Lord, that we would be lifted up uh, our countenance, that that we would look up to you, Lord, that we would see your presence, and Lord, that we would feel you with us. Uh, Lord, I pray that that you would be encouraging us and edifying us, uh, Lord, that you would be changing our hearts in order to make us more like your son. So, Lord, as we we dig into the word, as we uh, look at the doctrine of the church, as we we start to unpack this, Lord, I just pray that you would, Lord, just guide us, Lord, that you would go before us and, and that you would give us uh, good works, Lord, direction and wisdom that our lives might be able to uh, this day come more in line with your commandments for us. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. So like I said, we've been going through the Doctrine series. If you guys missed any of those, they're on the podcast, so you can listen to those. Uh, kind of get caught up. This morning as we we talk about the doctrine of the church, I think one of the things that we take for granted is that, you know, because we're part of the church, we're in the church, we know what that means, and, and we kind of embrace it and we live it. But what the church is, why it exists, you know, how it functions are things that we can have some confusion or some lack of clarity on. So this morning, I, we want to kind of unpack those three things, right? What is the church? Why does it exist? And how does it function? And, and we want to pull all of our answers out of the text. So we are going to be all over the place. Uh, well, not all over the place. We're going to be in four separate books primarily this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, and you want to kind of like bookmark 1 Corinthians, Romans. Twelve. We're gonna be in Romans twelve most of the time. Uh, first Peter, and then Ephesians. Those are gonna be the four books that we're kind of jumping back and forth from. So I'm hopeful as we as we open the text this morning, as and we look at the church, that we'll be encouraged to continue to press forward together. The first question that we want to answer. Uh, let's. We're we're, we're just gonna start by looking at what is the church and in our society if we look at just kind of like the english definition of the church the thing that will come up most often is a building right like we're driving by you know oh there's a church that was built in 1890 and it's been here for 100 years plus and and it's you know being used uh we also use the term to represent like a particular organization right like we might say like the lutheran church or the methodist church and we kind of talk about a tradition and and a denomination there's the, like, especially with, like, the Catholic Church and the, like, Church of England, kind of some of the really older denominations, when we say the church, they're actually talking about the clergy of the church, like, you know, the, the Church of England or the Roman Catholic Church. They're, they're usually talking uh, at times about the, the clergy, the pastors, the bishops, the pope, the, you know, different leaders of that particular denomination and then the the last way that we use it in english is as kind of like an institutional term right like kind of like politically or socially like oh the influence of the church on our society or things like that the biblical word is slightly different the the greek word is ecclesia and it really just means assembly it's it's a gathering of people so as we look at how the Bible talks about the church, it's talking about the people. You know, you think about that, you know, like what is the, I can't remember how to do it now, like here's the church, here's the steeple, something, like there's all the people. Like, so, so all the way up until the end, we're talking about English language. Once we get to, you know, our fingers rolling around saying the people, that's talking about the biblical church. And we see this, I, I was kind of looking, and you know, there's tons of ways that we can see that in the text. I mean, um, it's all over the place. But one of the most encouraging things that I saw it in, uh, as I've been prepping for this, is in Paul and Peter and James and the way that they address their epistles to the different churches. Because Paul and, and James and, and Peter, and you know, when, when they're talking about, you know, the church at Colossae or Thessalonica or Galatia, Ephesus, uh, you know, the, the and Corinth, the Corinthians, uh, Rome, the Romans, you know, all of these people, they, they talk to them, they say, like, uh, to the saints, or to the faithful brothers, or you know, to the uh, the chosen, you know, in, in, this, in this area. And, and they're always addressing the letters to the people. And they will say, like if we look at uh, in, in 1 Corinthians at the beginning of that letter, Paul says to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And this is such a, like these greetings, we often just kind of read over them, but there is such unity and togetherness and connectedness in these greetings. So As we look at the church and we see, you know, when even in in this passage where Paul is talking to a specific section of believers, right, just the the church in Corinth, he connects them to the greater church. And we see it again in in chapter 10. If you guys uh, flip through a couple of chapters to to the right, 10 verses 31 and 32, we see again, Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. And and in this passage, we can see in the same book, he's kind of using the term church as both specific Corinth and universal church, all believers connected together under Christ. So the biblical use of the word is fairly straightforward in, in that it's talking about the people, sometimes talking about a people at a specific location, like the church of Covenant Grace Menifee, or talking about the church throughout past, present, and all geographic location, okay? And that can cause a little bit of confusion at times as we're looking to put together a doctrine of the church, because some things, as, as we read the passage, it's talking about the church universal, and some things, as we look at passages, it's, it's giving instruction to a specific church. And as we put together, you know, or as we talk about this doctrine of the church, the, the thing to really hone in on in this is no matter if, if there's instruction that's given to the whole church, you know, universal or to a specific group, the doctrine of the church really is a doctrine of people. Right? So when we say, like, what is the doctrine of church in our, in our faith, what we're really saying is what doctrine do we have? that guides the interaction of the gathering of saints that have come together to live in community. Does that make sense? Okay, all right, so, so my first kind of point in this is that it's, it's more than a personal relationship with Jesus, right? How many of you guys have a personal relationship with Christ, anybody would claim that, right? This is a good thing, right, like, and, and what we mean by that what we mean by we have a personal relationship with Jesus is that we have personally made a commitment to Christ, and that we are going to be uh, submitting our lives to his rule. But Eric said a couple of weeks ago, I, I believe when we were in the series that we were doing on, a whole, on the Holy Spirit, he, he said, your relationship with Christ is personal, but it's not private. And this is, this is really important for us to see, right? Because we have to be careful to not allow personal to mean private for us, because our culture will push back against us and say that a personal relationship is between you and Jesus, and you shouldn't be discussing it with other people. We shouldn't be sharing that. It, it's just going to cause conflict. There's no truth to it. There's no you know, uh, drive behind it. It's just between you and them. It's a personal decision that we, you know, everybody else doesn't have to agree with. This is just a you thing. And biblically, that's just not the way it's described. right? So if we stay in First Corinthians, we, we uh, move over to chapter 12. Starting in verse 12, we see that the Bible connects a relationship with Jesus directly. To joining the body of Christ. In verse 12 it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, this is, this is really where it gets to it, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So if you have a relationship with Christ, you are part of the body, and and it, there, there's no getting around it. There's no like, well, eventually you'll plug into the body, or you'll, you know, eventually come to be part of this. Christ is the head. If you have a relationship with the head, then you are part of the body. Okay. Um, Paul uses the same metaphor in many of his epistles with this this body metaphor, and that's kind of the the primary the primary metaphor that that we build the doctrine of the church on, but there, there are some other ones. Uh, but when we start looking at what it is, this is the most helpful. If we go to Romans chapter 12, we can see Paul talks about this there as well. Uh, so 12, uh, three through five, Paul says in Romans, it says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. I'm assuming for, for most of you that have embraced your faith, have grown in your faith, have been in the church, this these aren't new passages to you. But as I've spent time with them this week, I mean there's there's small things that I see that I that I just weren't highlighted before. And one of those was this last statement, right? And individually members one of another. Like we always think of our connection to Christ when it talks about the body. And and in these passages that are talking about being the body of Christ often are expressing that we're gifted differently. So we're different parts of the body and we shouldn't, you know, judge each other or or be jealous of one another or that we need to function in unity. But we don't often, I don't often think of that passage in the past as something that connected us to one another specifically. The church, this gathering of believers, is one body made up of many members. Paul encourages us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought in the Romans passage. And this is a a critical thing for us to kind of look at. When we make our relationship with Jesus private, that's what we're doing. Right? And she's like, well, wait a minute. I mean, I don't want to offend somebody. or like, When we make our relationship with Jesus private, we're thinking more of ourselves than we ought. So let's see how that works. Let's go back to, to the Corinthians passage. And we're going to be in chapter 12 still. And in chapter 12, there are two examples that Paul gives us on how the members of the body would divide from one another, right? So the first one starts in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Did you guys hear that, right? Like, just because I have this private relationship or, or whatever, like it, just because we have accepted Christ and we're not in church or, you know, just because we have this relationship and and we're doing something in our life pattern to separate, we're still a part of the body. We don't get around that. And and that's like really clear right there. Okay, so we'll continue. In verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So if, if we're staying private with our relationship, and it's this personal thing, it could be because we feel like we don't fit in, right? Like, they're, like, we're not like the rest of the body, so I can't do what they do, so I, I kind of have to sit on the sideline, right? So, like, that's a lie. It's absurd. Paul says that's absurd. Like, he points out the absurdity. If we're sitting on the sideline and we're looking at the rest of the, the body of believers— and we're thinking, you know, I'm just not connected with them. I'm not like them. You know, I'm more of an introvert or, you know, I, I like, you know, different kinds of music or they're not the same ethnicity as me or the same political party or whatever it is. We're thinking more about us and how we fit in then we're thinking about the body and how it needs the diversity that God has arranged, right? So that's pride. That's thinking more of ourselves than we ought. Okay, let's, let's look at the, the other example. We continue down to verse 21. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So if we find ourselves separating from the body because others are not like you, right? So if, like, there's this thing, like, oh, I'm not like them, so I can't fit in. There's also a heart set where I'd say, like, oh, well, they're not like me. And and we start to think that maybe they're less important or less, you know, valuable to the body. Or they're more of a burden, you know, like they're taking all of the resources or, or things like that. Both of these situations are centered on us thinking more than we ought about ourselves instead of focusing on our individual place that we need to take in the body, right? We, we have to have confidence in the fact that just as these passages said, God has composed the body. God has arranged the body, that the people sitting next to you in this gathering of believers are there for a purpose. Like, God is bigger than just us. How many of you are created in the image of God? Everybody's hand should raise. If your hand's not raising, you're not listening, or you're being rebellious. (laughs) Okay, so everybody's created in the image of God, right? Even, you know, people who don't know God, they're still created in the image of God. And it takes all of these created people for us to be able to gather with one another and see God more clearly, right? As, As we come together and we reflect God to one another, we are, in, we are filled with his spirit. We share God with one another. Right? That's part of being the body, this connectivity. You individually have been composed as part of the body of this church and as part of the greater body of Christ. That's encouraging. I mean, like, who wants to go out and battle the world alone? Anybody? I mean, like, you're crazy if you do. Don't do that. We need each other. Okay, so the point of this, the whole, like, what is the church, right? All of these passages we look at this, it's not about finding your place in the body, like, oh, am I a foot or am I a hand or am I one of the unpresentable parts that have to, you know, hide in the foyer? No, like, that's not the point of these passages. The point of these passages is to communicate to us that a healthy body complements one another. It heals one another. It bears burdens for one another and places the importance of their brother and sister before themselves. They function with a common purpose. So the church is a group of believers that are coming together to do that. All right. Uh, Another example that we see uh, that helps us kind of see the purpose of the church is when it talks about the church as a living temple. Right or as, as we're living stones. Uh, so let's turn over to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2. So, so verse 5 is the one we're focusing on, but we're going to start in 4 for context. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is another metaphor, kind of talking about the church, talking about the people of the church, and the metaphor is that it's a temple, um, and this temple is built of living stones, each stone being chosen by God with a purpose and a place as he builds this spiritual temple, and is also precious to God. And I think that's one of the things that we don't want to lose when we say we have a personal relationship with Christ is that we're not just part of the mass, we're also an individual, right? We are individuals making up a larger thing. And, and Jesus knows us as individuals, cares for us as individuals, knows that we are precious, and, and not just Jesus, but God and the Holy Spirit. We see in this image the same as the body that you know we have the individuals making up the, the, the whole. Um, in the body metaphor, it kind of stresses the unique giftedness and the complementary design of the body to accomplish a purpose, but this actually gets to the purpose. The purpose of the church is to worship God, to bring Him glory. Right? So as we gather together, the whole purpose is to glorify God. And if we went back to the beginning of Romans 12, uh, there's a similar call just before the passage we read. Paul said, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So even in that body metaphor, Paul is talking about spiritual sacrifice, about worship, So even living with one another is a worship to God, right? It's part of our worship to God. We are to worship God with our lives, and a critical part of that is done in the church together. I know many of you guys in the church, and gals, have spent time, a season, away from the church. And coming back into Covenant Grace, you felt the difference, and I, I would say that we probably separated from the church do not have a thriving worship life for God. Because there is something about pushing one another to seek God together. And there's something about being distracted when we're alone, right? Like it's just, it, it happens all the time, you know, it's not a, not a saying that we can't, you know have personal devotion time, or things like that, but a community coming together drives us, encourages one another to seek the Lord together. If we move over to, or move ahead in First Peter, that we were looking at earlier in verse 9 of chapter 2, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So in this this passage, this little piece, we can see that uh, the life we live in worship to him includes proclaiming his good news and sharing the testimony of his work in our lives. So one way that we glorify God, one critical part of this, is that we proclaim God's work. And and we do that when we gather together and, and worship corporately, right? Like we're proclaiming that we love God. And that we together are committing to him. And that we see his glory and his beauty and his power and his mercies and his grace. And refreshes that within us. Um, But we also do that by coming together as a church and evangelizing. Right? I mean, we invite friends. We make, hopefully build relationships with neighbors and coworkers and people that we run into. And are actively looking for opportunities to be able to engage in a conversation about spiritual, eternal things, right? Looking for opportunities to share the gospel. You know, a great way to do that is to go out and look for the hurts, right? You find people that are hurting and you bring comfort. Like, who is going to reject comfort, right? Isn't that what the Lord said? Like, he's come to heal the sick, not the well, right? So, this evangelization is, is part of the purpose of the church. In in bringing God glory, we do that through evangelism. Um, and, and that's what a temple does, right? Like a temple, if we think about this metaphor, there's, there's different things that temple's used for. It's used for worship, but it's also a place that represents God and invites people in. So this evangelization process is part of the metaphor. Um, the last facet of this purpose of the church is seen in Uh, is is seen in the growth of the church, not speaking specifically about, um, like, numerically, and and numerical growth is good. If we're evangelizing, there should be new people that are coming to the Lord, but specifically talking about the growth of the people of the church, right? Uh, In Romans 12, 2, it calls for us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, Um, Earlier in this chapter of Peter, we're told to long for spiritual milk so that we may grow up into salvation. So part of the purpose of the church is that we would grow. And because the, the purpose of the church is to glorify God, to worship together, and to grow, there's some organizational kind of things that happen with that. And God has given us um, a, some structures and things to guide us along that path. So we've got kind of what the church is, why the church exists, and, and now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the kind of the how that works or the function of the church. Uh, let's see. He's given churches leaders to establish, oversee, facilitate community, the community of believers' empowerment, uh, by the Spirit to encourage one another um, as saints. So the, if, if we look at 1 Corinthians 12, kind of go back to, to that chapter, in verse 27, uh, we read, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, which we, we've kind of talked about that, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Here we see some of the offices that are listed as well as giftings. Uh, The emphasis in the Corinthians uh, is the varied nature of the movement of the Holy Spirit in the church. The Corinthians 12, Romans 12, both are dealing with the operation of the church. So we cannot separate the operation of the church. There's the offices that are kind of talked about, but there's also the empowerment of the spirit, the spiritual gifts. So, we're talking, we're gonna talk mostly about the offices in the remaining of our time, but the spiritual gifts we talked about a few weeks back when we went through the the series on the Holy Spirit, so I would encourage you guys, again, go back to the podcast, download that one for a refresher if you wanna kinda hear where our standpoint is and and how we see those gifts operating uh, and encouraging one another. Uh, But we can see in this particular passage some of these offices, apostles, prophets, teachers, and, and then we, we talk about the giftings also. If we look at Ephesians 4, that particular passage is more focused on the function. So if we go to Ephesians 4, and we're going to look at verse 11 and 12. I'll give you guys just a second there. Actually, we're going we're gonna to go beyond 11 and 12, but 11 and 12 is our focus. by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I mean, obviously, any of these passages, we could do a whole series on I mean like there's there's so much here but we see in the initial reading of this that the purpose specifically laid out for the leaders of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and building up the body of Christ we see that Christ is the head um, and in verse 16 it says uh, this was really cool read read back there again it's right so in 16 it says from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. So if we think about the leadership of the church, their their purpose is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and one part of that purpose is to equip and build these joints that keep the body unified and together together. You know, if we think about a body and all the joints and the tendons, like the offices, the pastors, the teachers, the even, you know, the apostles and, and the prophets, the goal is that the body would be knit together through the teaching and the equipping. Because the body needs to be equipped together in order for us to accomplish our purpose. Uh, so the leaders are to depend on the spirit. Um, and shepherd and teach in a way that equips the body to be unified with one another so that we see in the last half of 16 that the body can build itself up. So Josh, Eric, and I, uh, our goal, along with the deacons who uh, come alongside us, our goal is to build the body up so that you guys can come together and build one another up. right? Like the church isn't a service. You don't come in and the, the pastors come in and, and we tune you up and you go back out and live your personal relationship with Jesus. It's just not anything we've read today, right? So as we, as we look at this, as we look at our goal, the goal is that we would build one another up. These passages are talking about the universal church for the most part, right? They're talking about the apostles and the prophets and, and things like this. So apostles have given us the word. This is you know kind of written in. Um, there's also an aspect of the definition of the word apostle that means uh, to be sent. Um, so you know there's different interpretations and, and you know traditions. Like there are some churches that would have an apostle in the church and prophets in the church and things like that. So there's um, we're not going to going to get into all of that. Um, We're just going to let you guys know that when we look at the local church, we do believe that it's very clear that the local church has been given two offices, elders and deacons. And we see those qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. Sorry, I'm throwing another book at you that I didn't prepare you for. So 1 Timothy 3, we're going to read starting in verse 3. And this, this section is the qualifications for elders and deacons. Qualifications for deacons uh, are after that. It says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Um, I, I wanna just make, one caveat about verse 11, the, the literal translation is, and women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded. So this is, is one of the areas that we would look to um, when we start looking at elders and deacons. So as a church, our standpoint is that the Bible teaches that elders um, are men, um, but deacons are men and women. Um, and this is one of the, the places that we would look to to, to kind of look at that. There's many other places. If you want to know more about our specific stances on, you know, doctrine this minute when it comes to, like, deacons or things like that, we have some uh, papers and things that, that we've prepped, and, and we'll be teaching on it more. So, um, but I, I just wanted to preface that, uh, that we do have both male and female deacons at the church. For those who serve well as deacons, Uh, gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. When it comes to our church, it's important for everyone to understand um, how we approach these offices. So an elder, as as we look at elders, an elder is a pastor, right? So they're responsible for the ministry of the word, uh, to teaching and praying, uh, to equipping the saints and building up the body of Christ. They are overseers, teachers, and shepherds. Those are the three words in the New Testament that are kind of used interchangeably with elders, overseers, teachers, and shepherds. Now, we taught on this, um, I actually taught on this when we went through First Peter uh, a few months ago. So, you want to know more about elders in detail, go check out that podcast. The word deacon means servant. So, first and foremost, a deacon is one with a heart to serve the church. They're ministers of mercy as they partner with elders to meet the needs of the people of the church and support the elders in pursuing the mission of the church, right? So so that's a deacon, right? If you were with us as we taught through Peter, we've got that one. Uh, Eric has taught on deacons twice over the past couple of years, so you can jump into that as well. We just don't have the time to go through elders and, and deacons in depth, but it is really important to the church. Like we talk about it all the time, and, and we think that you know, when it comes to the main point, like we believe in plurality, right? We believe our senior pastor is Jesus. You know, like we don't have one person that makes the, the decisions at Covenant Grace. Um, Josh, Eric, and I, you know, we, we do that together. We feel that this is what the Bible teaches clearly, but we have friends, and loved ones and, and pastors that we love that function in that church government. So it's not a place of division for us. It's just a, a conviction that, that we think is worth pursuing. And, and we've seen the fruit of it in the church, and, and I believe that you guys have too. We strive to submit to one another and pursue the will of God with one another as we lead covenant grace to pursue relationship and study of the word and individual growth, fruit of the spirit in our lives. Uh, Deacons are also very important for the church, especially as it grows. Our deacon team has served diligently and been a blessing to the church. Uh, They've organized outreaches, administered benevolence to those in need, Um, They've orchestrated church events. They've also prayed diligently for the church, and they've worked with people in the church through tragedies and hardships, uh, difficult life seasons. But we have grown as a church, and we feel like it's time to expand the deacon team. So one of the things that we have today, some of the guys are going to be passing out these cards, and, and it's it's actually like a quarter sheet of paper, not really a card, but it says elders and deacons on it. And if we look at the book of Acts, people will say this is kind of like a you know proto deacons or like a section where the first deacons were appointed um, and gathered. And the apostles tell the congregation to gather up seven trustworthy people to be deacons. So what we do periodically is we like to put these out to the congregation, and you guys are living with us, and you're living amongst one another. Our goal is to raise up future deacons and elders, and we want to know, who do you see that we need to keep an eye on? Does that make sense? So if you're part of our church, you've been here for a while, please identify those people with the heart of a deacon, and who are are functioning and serving in that way. And Identify those people that you see as elders, you know, candidates for us to put in the future. Today is actually a really exciting day because when we planted this church, we were a plant out of Covenant Grace, French Valley. It was Josh, Eric, and I, and, and we planted three elders, and I don't know, it was about, we think about 40 people in your living room, right? Yeah, about 40 or so, and, and many of you guys were, were part of that 40. We've lost a couple, I'm sure, along the way. Two different things. I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> I shouldn't go off script. Okay. So, so we planted a church, and today's an exciting day because we are starting the process to add a fourth elder to our group and to the leaders of the church. Um, and I want to tell you guys a little bit about that process. So from day one, I mean, like, we talk, about, we talk about you guys. Not in a bad way, but we talk about you guys. Like, we're encouraged by you guys. There there are things that happen that, you know, that you tell us about, and, and it's just, it's deeply encouraging to see the Holy Spirit move in your lives. And our hope is that we would send some of you out to plant other churches in the future. And our hope is that we would see you guys grow into leaders of the church, because as the church grows we need more people, we need more leaders to, to come alongside and meet those needs. So we start by looking at the church and, and identifying people that seem to be functioning as an elder um, or as a deacon. Uh, so we're looking for people in, in this case who love the church, right? They're not just here, but they love the church and that they're already functioning as a leader but not just functioning as like an administrative leader but they're really concerned about the hearts of the people that are serving with them and they're looking to build up the faith of those people they don't just see you know volunteering as a way to meet the needs of the church but they see volunteering as a way to grow in their relationship with Christ and it's always kind of connecting back to that and then we watch them and then we watch them some more and then we pray and then we watch them some more and then we pray some more. And then, at some point, after kind of talking through it and, and going through, we, we look at the qualifications. We read that passage that we just looked at. right? And we start thinking about that person and, and these, these qualifications. Are they meeting all of these qualifications? Is there anything that, that we missed? You know, one of the difficult things about, about doing this is that we love you guys. Like, we really love you, and we see you in your best Sunday dress, right? Like, like we see you in in your best possible way, and so that those qualifications become really important, right? Because sometimes we're, we get blindsided. We're like, oh, actually, no that guy doesn't meet that requirement. You know, I'm not gonna call a specific one out or anything like that. But I mean, you know, we just look at it and we'll be like, you know, like, oh, that that actually is not a requirement. Still a wonderful man, a, a great guy, but it just doesn't meet that requirement. So we, we look over that passage in Timothy. There's the, for elders, there's a passage in Titus as well, uh, and we assess those qualifications. And then we watch and we pray some more, and eventually we ask that person if they have an interest in being an elder of the church. If they do, then we invite them to our meetings, and they get to take part in our discussions uh, and our face-to-face meetings and kind of talk through. Everybody kind of sees how that works out. Um, and all of that has been done with with this person. The the next step is that we then take that person and we put them before the congregation. And and it's a process called candidating. You know, so it's not like, you know, 2020 presidential congress, anything like that. It, it's it's a candidate in the fact that they're functioning, but we are a body together. And we want to affirm that the Lord is raising this person up, not that we are appointing that person. So there's a candidating process and and we kind of put them before the body and we ask them to pray. We ask them to seek relationship with this person and to talk to them and just to get to know them. It's a season where you all have a chance to do that and then we can continue to watch and they can continue to function in this and and just everybody just make sure like, hey, this is of the Lord. Um, At the end of that season, then we affirm that person as an elder of the church, and they're serving with us, pastoring, and and trying to equip the body and and build them up. Um, So I would like to officially announce um, to everybody that we have asked Chad Deziski. Chad is our worship leader, our worship pastor. Um, We've been watching Chad for a long time. You guys can clap or anything like that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we've prayed and talked about this. We've been watching Chad for years. Um, We're excited to bring him before the congregation as a candidate and ask that you guys would be praying for him in this season of confirmation as well. Um, Nothing changes. You know, I mean, the whole thing about this process is that we're identifying people that are already doing this. So it's not like Chad suddenly has you know a bunch of responsibility that we pour on to him like we've seen him work with the worship team we've seen him build the worship team build relationships with you guys you know Chad's work uh, as a, a chaplain in, in hospice he's constantly ministering to people and we we believe that those talents and giftings that God has arranged and and brought this together for the betterment of our body and we just want to affirm that that we see the Lord working in this way and we're we're confident that you guys will see that, too, in the next few months. So we are growing as a church, and, and one of the things that we do is this. One of the things that we do is confirm or, or candidate other elders. Uh, it's just an exciting kind of time for us to be able to see God continuing to grow the church like this. Amen? Amen. All right. So that was a little, bit of a, a little bit of a rabbit trail from the text and, and whatnot, but... I want to close with this, as we get ready to take communion. You know, a, a few things to to keep in mind. the The bread is gluten free, so if, if you have problems with gluten, you should be okay. I mean, you you will be okay. Like, there's no gluten. There's not should be. <laughs> it sounds like we like just you know like you should be okay unless a kid threw something in there that was. You know. But we've talked about the church. We talked about this doctrine in the church, we talked about connectedness, and maybe you find yourself that you feel disconnected from covenant grace. And I would ask you is it because you're looking at others and feeling like you're too different? You're too busy? You're too messed up? You know, something that's keeping you that you feel isolated from the rest of the body. And if that's where you're sitting, that's where your, your life is right now, like, don't believe it. It's a lie. Um, it could be that you feel isolated and that you have conflict that's making you feel disconnected, right? Um, is it because you're looking at others and treating them as though they are not as important, not as gifted, not as holy, right? Don't believe that either. Like, that's a lie, right? If, if we're feeling disconnected and it's, it could be because of the way that we're treating other people, like, we've got to repent of that. We've got to change, Right? Because we're ca- causing double damage. Not only are we pulling ourselves out, but we might be pushing others out. It might be because you're new, right? Uh, you don't know anyone yet, and you're waiting to feel comfortable or for someone to reach out to you or something to happen, right? You might. This might be your first week here. Might be your second week here, or second and first, depending upon things. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I, okay. Never mind. <laughs> the. It's the benefit of a small church. You can talk directly to people and nobody knows who you're talking to because they're in the back. So, you know, if that's the case, I mean, jump in, right? Don't wait. Like, talk to people, go to lunch with people, build relationship and connection because God has constructed us to be together for a purpose and a reason. And it's more than just us. Or maybe, maybe it's because you didn't understand that there was more to a relationship with Jesus than being able to quote Bible verses and say a prayer. Maybe you understood the ideas of the gospel, right? You understood that Jesus came to forgive sins and that he died on a cross and that, you know, he was resurrected. And and you understand all that, but there's not been any heart penetration. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you are regenerate, if the Lord has given you new birth. You will love the church because you're part of the body. You don't hate your body, right? Uh, It is important to think, right? There is the parable of the tear and the weeds. So there may be in this room people that are tear, that are thriving and part of the church, and there may be people that are weeds. And that sounds really harsh, right? Like it sounds terrible. But the Bible uses these things, right? There's the passage in Matthew that says, you know, like, we come up to the gate and the Lord says, I didn't know you. And I said, I did all these things. So we need to take self-assessment. That's part of our responsibility as leaders. Part of our responsibility to one another is to bring these points up to one another so that we grow. And if you don't have a love for the church and you think I'm saved, I would say that should give you pause, because biblically, that doesn't exist. Amen? Okay. We're going to take communion. As we take communion today, like I said, the bread's gluten-free. A lot of the time, as we take communion, it's a, a reflection on the work of Christ for me personally and the sin that is covered. And that's true, right? I mean, that's a, a good reflection to have. We also should hopefully reflect on the resurrection and the promise that comes out of that, right? That we are not living in defeat, but we are living empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. But as you guys take communion today, look around. Like we have been brought into one body together, and this is the means that has brought those people together. Like we're not in this alone, right? And we're not in this with Jesus alone. So he's given us one another to to walk this path with. So take the elements, you can take them back to your seat, you can gather as a group, take them together, thank the Lord, not just for the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf, individually, but thank him for the sacrifice he has made on all of our behalf. Our behalf. That's an awesome thing. Right? Jesus didn't just die for me. It's awesome that he did. I'm so thankful that he died for you, too. And I think it's it's, it's good for us to love one another, not just in practice, but even in disciplines like this, to, to be thinking about one another. Okay? Alright, let me pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move. Lord, I know how much information this was. And Lord, I know how unqualified and, and distracted and just uneloquent the delivery can be at times. And Lord, I just pray that you would impact my brothers and sisters. Lord, impact me and, and Josh and Eric and Chad. Lord, as, as we desire to build these joints and these connections with one another. And Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, fill the elders and the deacons and the saints. Lord, because we are one body. Lord, I pray for people that are in pain and, in, and hurting right now. Lord, that you would give them comfort. Lord, not just from your spirit. We pray for that. Lord, that, that we would comfort one another, or that we would function as a body and heal one another, that we would pray for one another, or that we would lift one another up. Lord, I pray for people who are in times of joy and encouragement, Lord, for engagements and babies and new jobs and, and opportunity. And Lord, I pray that, that that joy would be shared with others, or that we would cry with one another, that we would give joy with one another, Lord, that we would live life with one another. And Lord, I thank you that you do this. Lord, that as I pray this, it's not an empty prayer. I see your people and I'm so thankful for your work of the Spirit in them. Lord, we want more. We want to bring you more glory. Lord, make us a people that welcome others in. Lord, make us a people that gather folks up, build them up, and send them out so that you receive more glory and that we fulfill your purpose. Lord, we love you. We praise your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.